Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. We're so glad you're a part of our kickoff weekends. I'm ready for kickoff weekend. I hope you are. It's starting a two-week series called The Good Life. That's what we want to invite you into. This week, we're going to be looking at the good life for each of us as individuals. And next week, how do we live it out corporately in our world? So the good life constitutes three areas. It's a surrendered life, a generous life, and a missional life. In just a moment, Pastor Jessica Collins is going to help us kick off this idea of what the good life looks like. And she's going to be focused on what does it mean to surrender? And then Jerry Sen is going to help us to understand what it means to live a generous life. And then Pastor Matt is going to help us understand what it means to live a missional life. And it's the, really, it's the convergence of all three of those values that help us to live an open-handed life that really is the good life. There's a story in the Bible about a rich young man, and the story goes like this. He goes to see Jesus to find out how he can obtain eternal life. Jesus says to him, well, follow the Ten Commandments. He says, I do. And so Jesus says, take all of your possessions, sell them, give them to the poor, and come follow me. Well, the rich young man goes away sad because he has so many possessions. Now, it's easy for us to hear this story and think that it's all about his things, but actually I think something much deeper is going on here. You see, Jesus wasn't asking him to let go of his things. Jesus was asking him to let go of anything that was taking the place of God in his life. Jesus wasn't just saying, give me your money. He was saying, surrender your life. He was inviting him to come follow me. Come, give up everything you think that you need and follow me into a life that is purposeful. Come know me. This is the same invitation that God gives to each of us today. Come follow me. Come know me. But how do we accept his invitation in 2021? How can I know God today? Well, the answer is really simple. It's a letting go of anything that I'm holding so desperately to so that I can open my hands and grasp onto the life that God has for me. It's a living in relationship with God. Now, I remember when me and my husband were first married, we worked at the same place, and so we had unending time to spend together. We went to work together, we came home together, we hung out after work. It was a glorious couple of years together. Fast forward to the time when we welcomed our first daughter into our house, and all of a sudden, time was very different. We had routines, we had schedules. Fast forward a few more years, and we found ourselves the parents of three children under the age of four, and time was chaotic in that season. But in that season, and when we were first married, and every season that has followed, me and my husband have had to learn to find time to be together. We've had to learn to find that time to get to know each other. If everything I knew about my husband over the last 12 years of marriage I had learned in that very first year, well, I really wouldn't know him today, would I? And the same is true with God. If my entire knowledge of God was based on something that I learned about him years ago or the Bible that I had read years ago, then I really wouldn't know him today, would I? 
The truth is that no matter how long I've been in relationship with anybody, there's always deeper places to go in that relationship. There's always more conversations that can be had. There's always more character that can be discovered. And there's always more trust that can be developed. Even if I've been a Christian my entire life, there will always be deeper places to go in my relationship with God. And there will always be areas in my life that I need to surrender. Today, I'm standing here at an altar. And an altar is a very significant place. It's a place where we exchange something for another thing. And in the Old Testament, God's people would travel great distances to get to the temple. And on their way, they would bring with them a perfect lamb. And when they arrived at the temple, they would give that lamb to the priest. And the priest would take that lamb and he would sacrifice it on the altar. And this was the method in which God used to atone for their sins, that covered their sins, until a day when Jesus would die on the cross for everyone's sin, past, present, and future. And so today I didn't bring a lamb with me to this altar because the Bible tells us that God is asking something else of us. He's still asking of a sacrifice, but it's our life. God is asking us to surrender our lives, to live in relationship with Him. For some of us, this might mean a first step. Maybe you've never known Jesus before, and it's so, it's just taking a moment to say, Jesus, I want to surrender my life for you. Maybe it's picking up God's word for the first time and reading it and learning to get to know who God is through his word. Maybe it's taking time each day to talk with God, telling him about my day, asking him to speak to me. For others of us who have been a Christian for a lot longer, maybe it's picking up God's word that we have put away for a while. Maybe it's exchanging my morning playlists for worship music. Maybe it's giving more of my time in this next year to partner with God in the mission that he's doing here on the earth. Maybe it's taking greater steps of obedience in my life this year, saying yes to the things that God is asking me to do, maybe releasing the things that God is asking me to let go of. For some of us, maybe it's choosing to get baptized, to publicly declare that I am a follower of Jesus and my life is surrendered to him. One of my favorite Bible verses, John 10, 27, says this. It's Jesus talking, and he's talking about us. And he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So as we get to know God this year, as we read his word, as we worship him, as we talk with him, that is how we learn to recognize God's voice in our own lives. And as we learn to recognize his voice in our lives, it will become easier to start to obey him, to practice this daily surrendering of my will for his will, doing things his way instead of my way, simply because we have learned to listen to the voice of our shepherd. Friends, let's commit to surrender in the, over this next year. Let's commit to going deeper in our personal relationships with God so that we as a church can go wide in our reach and be ready and willing for whatever God wants to do in us and through us over this next season. Hey, One Church to you. My name is Jerry and I'm one of the directional leaders here at the church. I've had the privilege to get to know many of you over the last few years. But today, I wanna to talk to you about my life experiences and how God was speaking to me about generosity. Follow me. 
I was born and raised in Toronto to amazing parents who came to Canada to seek a better life for their children. My parents raised me to know Jesus, and I spent the last 34 years attending One Church TO. As I graduated from York University, I went on to build a career in digital marketing with some of the best companies in North America. I got married to my amazing wife and had three beautiful daughters. As I continued to achieve certain goals in my life, I also grew in my relationship with Jesus. Through this relationship, my generosity to those around me grew also, but it looked different in each stage of my life. When I was younger, I was able to offer more time, and as life got busier, I was able to offer more resources. Regardless of the stage I was in, it became clear to me that setting generosity goals were just as important as life ones. So church family, you're asking, what are generosity goals? Well, they are goals we can begin to set and attain, but it begins with a critical step. For me, it started when I acknowledged Jesus's love for me, his grace for me, his acceptance of my faults, and the fact that he died for my sins. It began to raise questions in my heart as to how can I not be overly generous if God has been so generous to me. So let me describe four generosity goals you can set in any season, and I'll ask you a question for each one. Goal one, talents. Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What talents has God given you that you can be generous with in 2021? Maybe you're extremely creative, or you've got great strength, or you can give really good advice. How are you putting those talents to work? Goal two, time. We live in a busy city. Life is extremely busy. You could be going to school, working multiple jobs, raising a family, but we need to provide space in our schedules to be generous with our time. How are you gonna be sacrificial with your time in 2021? Is it gonna be impacting a friend, someone in your community, or taking on a Love Army challenge? Goal number three, resources. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 to 11 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Resources come in many forms, but how about the one that we often keep close to us? our money. Why do we keep it close to us? Because sometimes we're scared that we won't have enough or we want to be in control. But let's trust him in this year. Trust that he will provide for us, for you, and provide for the least of them. We can even start right now. How are you going to be generous in 2021? You can help the people in Honduras with clean water by registering for Cross the Line or by donating towards it. Goal number four, our thoughts. Last but not least, how can we be generous with our thoughts? This is one that elevates all of us. Generous with our thoughts means that we're thinking about how to love those around us, even if we don't align or agree with them. How can we say we love people, but go home and think negative thoughts towards them? 
God calls us to keep our hearts clean and to love everyone as we love ourselves. If that is the case, we wouldn't have negative thoughts about ourselves. So why is it so easy to have them about other people? This is a big one, church family. Let's raise the bar this year in 2021 and be generous even with our thoughts. It's fall 2021, a fresh start for many of us. Let's acknowledge God's love in our lives and be generous to people around us. It's time for us to be unignorably good. Love you, church. So Jessica has helped us see how the surrendered life, knowing God, is essential to the good life. Jerry has helped us see how the generous life, loving people, is just as essential. That leads us to the missional life, making an impact in our city. And I say it all leads to missional because if we're really knowing God and loving people, then it is the natural outflow to live a missional life of impact. And when you hear the word missional, you probably think of like a mission statement, uh, you know, a shared objective for an organization, or maybe you think of a, a combat mission, like a, a clearly laid out plan of what it would take to win, or maybe a, even a missionary, someone who is sent out with purpose. Well, similarly, a life that is missional is one that has a foundational cause, a reason for living. And there is nobody who did this better than Jesus. Even, even if you don't share my beliefs about who Jesus is, you have to admit, this guy had every moment of his life locked into his purpose. He was always on mission. So what was Jesus' mission? It was us. His mission was to fix the broken connection between humans and their creator. And what was his primary strategy? Proximity, closeness. This is everything we celebrate at Christmas. Just his coming, to earth alone shows how he chose to be close. You can see it in the repeated invitation to others to do life close to him. You know, if you read through the gospels, you can see it over and over again, how many times he extends that invitation with the words, follow me. A quick example here. Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman. You might know this story. Jesus crosses so many lines in this scene that we, we don't really are, we're not used to from our culture. He bridges a gender gap. He bridges a major culture gap. Like think of wearing a Lakers jersey to Jurassic Park during a Raptors game, okay? Times 100. He bridges the gap of someone who is really trying to practice social distancing. They're going to a public hotspot in the most quiet part of the day. This woman was an outsider. In fact, when one of, one of Jesus' followers recorded the events of that day, he finishes by saying they were shocked to see him talking to the woman, but no one had the nerve to ask, why are you talking to her? But he chose, Jesus chose proximity. He speaks life into this woman and she exper experiences impact. Impact is the natural result of being close to Jesus. It's why he came. It was the actual goal of his missional life. Have you ever seen a slow-mo picture of a baseball bat hitting a baseball? When you hear the word impact, I hope that you have that picture in your mind. Just imagine that, that impact. Impact means a change in direction. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced that dramatic transformation. And Jesus has handed over his mission to his followers, including us. So are we responsible to impact other people's lives, forever changing their major life values, their worldview? Absolutely not. There's no way I can do that. But we are called to proximity. We're called to closeness. We can choose Jesus' posture of including others on this life journey. We can extend that invitation. And like Jesus said, we can say, follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but follow me sounds a little bit strange coming out of my mouth. So without changing the heart of that invitation, what if we adopted a similar small phrase for the moments when we get to practice our missional life, our life of proximity? What if we said, come with me? Come with me. That's not too hard, is it? You know, see, if, if we're already living the surrendered life, we've been cultivating a deep connection to God. His spirit is at work in us. We are connected to him. And if we're already living that generous life, we're already creating bridges to others in our lives. We're connected to them. Now, the missional life is about connecting those two pipes between God and others, and we become the conduit. Paul, a first century follower of Jesus, said it this way, we have this treasure in this jars of, these jars of clay. So you jar of clay, you. Let's get this catchphrase into our hearts. Come with me. Come with me. Where? Well, for starters, let's just keep building that relational bridge. If you're living that generous life, you'll be choosing a life of proximity, closeness to your neighbors, your coworkers, your college dorm room friends. How about come with me for tea or coffee? How about come with me for a backyard barbecue? Or come with me to another parent on your walk home from dropping the kids at school. Come with me and just keep showing up and just keep listening. And at some point, if you're living that surrendered life, that treasure wrapped up inside of you is gonna start shining through. There will be a question, maybe one you can't even answer. And then you get to say your catchphrase again. Why don't you come with me to Alpha? And we can ask that question together. Come with me to church online or when we open up in physical gatherings again. Come with me to a relational event. Come with me. It's absolutely unextraordinary. It's a super ordinary phrase. But then we get to watch in perfect slow-mo as treasure shows up inside another clay pot. Come with me. Well, thank you, pastors, Jessica, Jerry, and Matt. Uh, I, here's what I'd love you to just anchor in your minds and thoughts as we talk about the good life is that surrendered life that, that Pastor Jessica talked about. Think of that altar. The image of an altar is really powerful when we think of the surrendered life. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us that the, we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. And as a, a, a preacher I heard years ago say, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. We have to come with a fresh sense of surrender regularly, coming to him and reminding, not our stuff, not our way, your way. 
And then I love uh, Jerry's conversation around generosity goals. I'd never thought of that until I heard Jerry mention that this weekend in these gatherings. What would it look like if we actually set some generosity goals uh, with our time, our talents, our resources, all, all of the areas, the four areas he mentioned that we could set generosity goals. And then uh, Pastor Matt talking about that missional and that conduit between God and others. And here we are just being used by God, imperfect people, just jars of clay with this great treasure inside of us. And I love how freeing it is. A simple invitation, come with me. Now, we want you to live the good life. Why? Well, the Bible talks with great regularity about the finite amount of time every human being has. And I think the Bible reminds us of it because I think we have a tendency to live like we're going to live forever. But we have a finite piece of time, a, a, a limited runway here in this life. And when you get near the end of the life, I've been pastoring for almost 30 years. It'll be 30 years next spring. And 30 years I've been with a lot of people's starts and I've been at some people's ends. And there's something beautiful when someone looks over their shoulder near the end of their life and they can say, I lived a good life. I lived a good life. I lived a surrendered, generous, and missional life. I thought about a couple of members in our church this last week. I thought of Thelma Kwao, who just went to be with the Lord. She'd been a part of our choir for years, a member in our church. And, and, and she, at 79 years of age, she graduated to a reward in heaven. And we prayed comfort for her family, but she, she lived a good life. I think of Pastor Roy Upton, uh, who at 97 years of age just went to, <laughs> to his reward in heaven. Now get this, this guy was a, a veteran of World War II uh, in the Air Force, but hey, millennials, Gen Z, think about this. He was a pastor for 72 years. That means next year when I get 30, I'll just have 42 more years to go. I can't even imagine pastoring so hard. I can't imagine 72 years of it. And he's come to a place where God is saying, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Looking over your shoulder saying, I lived the good life. I lived the good life. Now, it's hard to live the good life in this life because there's, there's what I call a shadow good life, challenging and competing for the true good life in your life. Uh, author John Erdberg talks about a shadow mission, that the enemy of our souls has a shadow mission unique to each of us, meant to distract us and disconnect us from what God has for us. And in our world, there's often the good life is kind of posed as being so, an easy life. And somehow, the easy life is the good life. I, I, one of my, my oldest son, he'll often say this, quoting some lyric, he'll say, well, nothing gives easy and easy gives nothing. Because the good life actually has challenge in it. Challenge which refines us. Challenge that builds resilience in us. Challenge that transforms us. So challenge is really a part of the good life, not, not just easy. Uh, we get sold this shadow version of good life that it should be comfortable. And we all want to live a comfortable life. But that's not the good life. God is not so much interested in your comfort as he is interested in your transformation your transformation. But the beautiful thing about the good life, it's comforting. It's comforting when you're in the zone of living a surrendered, generous, and missional life. There is something so at peace and comforting. And then you find God's presence show up in the middle of your grief and loss. There's comforting in the good life. Uh, in, in this shadow version of the good life, <clears throat> we think the good life uh, consists of accumulating, accumulating lots of stuff for us when really the good life is about distributing. 
It's about giving, investing now because we can't take it with us. The, the, in the shadow version of the good life, we're, we're seeking a life that's drama-free. But if you're going to do life with people, it's never going to be drama-free. But the real good life is focused on being sin-free. Now, not meaning that you'll never do anything wrong. Remember, we're a community of very imperfect people <laughs> serving a very perfect God. So I'm imperfect, you are, we all fall short. But here's the difference. In the good life, sin doesn't need to control you. It doesn't need to drive you. It doesn't mean you will be sinless, not until we see him face to face someday, but it doesn't need to be addicting us, controlling us. In this version of the good life, <clears throat> the goal is to be able to say, I'm good. In the real good life, we want to say, we're good. We're good. It's not just about us. You see, <clears throat> I've been pastoring for 30 years. I, I, this is my study Bible. I've written hundreds of sermons from this Bible. It's a Greek Hebrew Bible. I've had it since 1998. So long time, hundreds of sermons. And for you, especially if you're new, you might, maybe if you dabbled in the Bible, you find it a little confusing, maybe even disturbing at times because it chronicles the underbelly of the human experience. You name it, it's in there. And it really chronicles the, the human experience intersecting with the tender, loving kindness of a loving God. It's incredible. It's a great story. But if you're going to really understand the main theme of it, scholars say it this way. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a red thread that goes throughout the entire Bible. You can find it in the Genesis accounts, in the creation accounts. It starts right there. You can go to the back part of the Old Testament and you can see it in the prophetic literature. In the prophets, the red thread goes right through there. It goes back into the introspective, emotive, uh, uh, spiritually intimate moments of the psalmist. It fast forwarded to the letters that Paul writes to the churches and right into the apocalyptic literature at the end of your Bible. There's a red thread that connects all of those narratives. And that red thread is the person of Jesus. The good life is modeled after Jesus' life, who lived a surrendered life, a generous life, and a missional life. You know, it's so easy, even if you're a follower of Jesus, to lose sight of the red thread. It really is so easy. And when we lose sight of the red thread, we become more concerned about peripheral issues. Lesser things become uh, catalytically important as opposed to the, the right thing, the missional element and the red thread that goes throughout scripture, Jesus in our lives. When I was a youth pastor a long time ago, I was 22 years old. I was a youth pastor in the west side of Toronto in a place called Jane and Finch. And if you were to come back into that church I was youth pastoring in uh, way back in 1992, if you were walking into that church, you would look at the front of the church and you'd see the ugliest curtains I think could ever be created or imagined. Now, think about the ugliest curtains you've ever seen and then, you know, go tenfold more or a hundredfold more. I mean, these are so ugly. Every guest that came into our church, they always looked at the front. After they talked to you a little bit, they say, what's up with the curtains? I mean, it's what I imagine Joseph's coat of many colors would have looked like, except not really cool. <laughs> and it was distracting. It distracted newcomers, but even the people that were in the church, the pastors, the deacons, others, and, and attendees, it, it was from a different era. But they were struggling because the curtains had been birthed out of a vision somebody had about God and these colors meant something, so they couldn't touch them. What What... What was sad in that church is it became more about the curtains than it did the red thread. 
See, so much of life is curtains and window dressing, guys. So much of what can easily distract us in your Christian walk is curtains and window dressing. That's why we do baptisms in our weekend gathering. Baptisms will remind us this is what our community is all about. Transformed lives. People finding Jesus. Jesus changing people. So we want to, over the course of this week and next week, help you to find that red thread, to be able to live the good life so you can live a surrendered life coming to him at the altar and surrendering everything you have, that you can live an open-handed, generous life, setting generosity goals, and that ultimately, this will result in you living out a come-with-me life. Come-with-me life. So before we go into our next steps, and at the end, please, if you've got questions for Pastor Matt, Pastor Jessica, or Jerry, they're joining me in a few minutes, and we're gonna do Q&A. Jump into the chat room, ask your questions. We'll do our best to answer them. But here's something, even if you're brand new to this uh, community, maybe you've never been a part of One Church TL, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be viewing from, from jail right now. You could be at work. You could be in another place around the wor- world. You could be right in Toronto. You could be excited about our physical gatherings coming back shortly. Big announcement coming about that later this week. But wherever you are, <clears throat> I wonder if you do something that I like to do. I like to hold my hands out as an act of surrender when I pray. And I want you to imagine as you hold your hands out, so wherever you are, go ahead, hold your hands in front of you. Just imagine that all of your key relationships are in this hand, that all of your career ambitions are in these hands, that all your stuff, everything you own, everything that you have, it's in these hands. All of your past experiences, even your brokenness and pain, it's all in these hands. Everything that is about you is in your hands. And here we're gonna, sing, we're gonna say a simple prayer of surrender to Jesus. So I'd invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I lay my life before you. I come to the altar and I surrender. I surrender my dreams, my ambitions, my stuff. (laughs) I surrender my past. I surrender my present and my future. And God, I say, I don't want my way. I want your way. Would you forgive me of anything that I've done that has hurt other people, that has wounded my relationship with you or damaged myself? Fill me with your spirit afresh and anew. I climb onto the altar and I remind myself that it's all yours. I surrender. And in turn, God, with my hands open, help me, prompt me, to develop some generosity goals that I can love the people that you've placed around me. And then God, I recognize that if I know you, I have a treasure deep inside of me. Help me to be invitational and being able to journey with people in proximity and say, come with me. Come with me to see Jesus. Come with me to find truth. Come with me to be set free. We ask all of this in your powerful name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. 
So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.